0: Gracious God, we thank you for your word and we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are renewed, we are transformed, and we are conformed evermore into the image of Christ Jesus, praising him, thanking him all the day long. Amen. You know, there's a lot of words in scripture and in church that uh, just kind of get glossed over, especially for people who aren't churched or aren't believers. Uh, It just really glosses over and doesn't have much meaning. Even for those people who are in church, some of the words don't have much meaning. We just kind of know that they're there. I mean, there's such words as holy and merciful and gracious, loving, steadfast, I mean, we've explored some of those words and some of the depths of those words. But man, when you get to some of those bigger words in Scripture, justification, sanctification, propitiation, you almost see people's eyeballs roll in the back of their heads and like, whoa, you know, coosh. Could you ever imagine a parent at nighttime saying, honey, I'm going to tell you a story about justification. (laughs) child would go asleep right away, I think. But words are important, aren't they? Certain words help us understand who God is and our relationship to God. Words matter to God and therefore they need to matter to us too. I mean, you already know this. Do you remember the first time you said three little words to someone and actually meant it? I love you. Do you remember the emotion that was behind those three simple little words? Or maybe those words, Will you marry me? I mean, your heart starts just to pound, you just start to sweat. Or maybe you were on the receiving end of those words. Three little words, I love you. Or four little words, will you marry me? But they have such a depth of meaning to them, they stopped you in your tracks. You see, there are certain words that should get our hearts going, that should get our blood flowing. Words that matter to God and words that matter to us. See, when you understand certain words of God, they give you a, an awe, a respect, a love of God that is not there if you just gloss over them. So today, we're going to take a look at one word, and that word is redemption. Redemption is central to the whole scope of the Bible. The whole scope of the Bible, you find redemption and Thus, in redemption, you find God's love. And in Christ Jesus, we are the bride. The church is the bride of Christ Jesus. So there are the words behind redemption. I love you, and you are my bride. Marry me. This is the depth of the words for redemption. And so today, we're going to start to build some groundwork first so we understand at a floor level what is redemption and build up to the meaning of it and the application for us. Today, redemption, we will see that redemption is a covenant made by God, fulfilled by his power so that we are freed to be his children. And by the way, that song that we just sang, Redeemed, go back through it. The sermon is all throughout that song. Okay, let's begin. We're going to start with redemption is a covenant. Exodus chapter 6, starting with verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God almighty. But by my name, the Lord I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So, when you think of the word redeemed, it's rarely used at all today. I mean the probably the most common example, and it's not even that common anymore. It would be when you go to the grocery store and you redeem a coupon. I mean, green stamps. Remember green stamps and redeeming green stamps. But that's, in my mind, about all I can think of in our common culture when we talk about the word redeemed. It is simply a transaction. I give you something, you give me something back. A very simple transaction. But when we talk about redeemed in Scripture, it's much more than a transaction, something that's cut and dried. It is actually a covenant, a covenant made by God. And it's not simply a covenant made by God. It is based in His very nature. It is based in His name. So when He makes a covenant with us, it is in His name. Now, in Scripture, in our readings, there are two names of God that are used. The first one is El Shaddai. So that's the name that God used with Abraham and Jacob, El Shaddai. El is God. In Hebrew, E-L, El stands for God. So if you ever see a church that is Bethel Church, Beth means house in Hebrew, El is God. So it would be the house of God, Bethel, house of God church. Shaddai is a little bit harder to translate. We've got it as sufficient or Almighty. So here, El Shaddai is God Almighty. One person put it like this: God's might is far beyond far beyond ours because he is eternal. The everlasting God before time and into the timeless future, he is the everlasting King of heaven, and as the sovereign God, he is answerable to no one. God does great things. And awesome wonders. He does miracles. There's nothing too hard for him. He has unlimited power. We can't even imagine the depth, the breadth, the power of El Shaddai. This is God Almighty who came before Abraham and Jacob and said, I will make my covenant with you. Would you not tremble before him? But now with Moses, God uses. Yahweh. We've covered this many times. In the Old Testament, when you see Lord in all capital letters, it stands for Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, the name that was so sacred to the Israelites that they didn't even want to put in vowels lest they mispronounce his holy, sacred name. And it stands for I am not i was not i will be but i am eternally i am before all time i am after time i am throughout and this is the personal name that god uses with moses with abraham and jacob of el shaddai god almighty and here he says i am And it is a personal nature by which he makes the covenant with Moses and the Israelites. But you and I know this in our, even in our culture. If you don't know someone, you use their formal name. Like my father, Mr. Wilfer. For some people who knew him, he was Robert. For his family who knew him, Bob. Bob. Here God says, "Yahweh, I am, and by my name I make my covenant with you." So covenant, covenant's different than a promise. You <laughs> fill this one in. Promises are made to be broken right we know that one did you actually know it's part of a longer proverbial saying it says this promises are made to be broken and lies are meant to be kept that's part of the proverb for modern culture but doesn't that speak to our sinful nature and that's how we kind of hold promises and how we hold lies And that's the state of when we think promises. But a covenant is something very different. A covenant is a sacred, holy bond that God has declared through His Word. By His very nature, He says, By my name, by all that I am, I make a covenant with you. Now, there are two types of covenants one is conditional. One is unconditional. A conditional covenant is one that says, I will do my part if you do your part. You know, sometimes with people who are dealing with substance abuse, we make that conditional covenant. You can always stay at my house if you are clean, if you are sober. You understand that? That's a conditional covenant. I promise that you can always stay here if... But there is an unconditional covenant that I will keep my part no matter what you do. You can stay at my home. I want you to be clean. I want you to be sober. But, man, you have a safe haven here no matter the condition you are in. That's an unconditional covenant. God, Yahweh, I am, made an unconditional covenant covenant with the Israelites. He actually made an unconditional covenant with Abraham too. So let's go into this covenant. We're going to go through verses 6 through 8. And you'll notice on here, I have the I will in yellow. It's highlighted. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. So notice he starts off with his name. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out of, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with the great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, Yahweh, El Shaddai, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. You see, in here, you have seven I will statements, seven being a perfect number. So by his own name and his very nature, he gives a perfect covenant, unconditional covenant, with the Israelites, and they fall into four different categories. Deliverance. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery. God says, El Shaddai, I will set you free. Redemption. God will pay the price. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. What you have to understand in the Old Testament, if somebody was in slavery, if somebody was in bondage, it had to be a kinsman redeemer. Somebody who was closest to them in family, in relation, would be the one to bring them out. When we did our study from Ruth, Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. Who's the kinsman redeemer for the Israelites? Yahweh, the personal God I am. He is the kinsman redeemer. Adoption. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This is an act of adoption. Remember the song, Forever His Child I Am? That's what it's talking about here. And even with the Israelites, he doesn't say just as a nation, you are my people, and he calls the nation of Israelites his son. In Earlier in Exodus, he says, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and, say, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. And the last one is possession. You can even say inheritance here, possession, inheritance. Remember, he had promised to Abraham that he would inherit the land. He also promised that to Moses and the Israelites. I will bring you into the land that I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob and I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. By His name, a perfect covenant, unconditional. And you have to notice that it is all by His power. Not our power, but by His power. Again, we just kind of keep going through the text here. Verse six, say therefore to the people, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. Look, you understand the Israelites were under the yoke of slavery. They literally could not free themselves. There was no way they could pay enough. And it was a a burden by which they cried out to God. And really, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh wasn't going to let him go. He just wanted the power. And so even though God sent the plagues, right, the the plagues, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Finally, with the 10th plague, he said, you can go. But even then he chased after them. I mean, you know the story, don't you? But this is the story of God with his mighty acts, his miracles, his miracles redeeming setting free the israelites okay so we've laid some groundwork right we've got we we've got it as a covenant that redemption is a covenant it is by god's holy name it is the perfect unconditional covenant but the problem with this is it can feel more like a history lesson almost and not as personal so i'd like to shift gears and go and make it a little bit more personal. You see, there's a thing, certainly in our culture, in many cultures, when you fail at something, and especially if you fail publicly, there's great shame, isn't there? I mean, you might have failed your spouse, you might have failed your family, your friends, at a job, at an organization. I know each of you have something in your lives like that. And there is the regret and there's the shame. And if it's a big, big failure, the regret, the shame, the darkness is so great that you just want to hide. That you, you don't even know what to do. I mean, you try to redeem yourself, right? You try to act better. You try to make up for that mistake or that particular sin. And you try to do as many good works as possible to try to make up for that. But in the background, in your mind, you still have that, that you're branded as a failure, that you're, you're, you're branded as a loser. There's a darkness, and you feel just shackled in your sins. And you can't, no matter what, it haunts you throughout your life. And you carry around this despair. And in our culture today, by the way, in our current cancel culture, there is no good deed that you can ever do, no mea culpa big enough that will ever be forgiven, even if it's from 10 or 20 years ago. There is no forgiveness in our culture today. And there are times, I bet, for each one of you or for someone you know, they're like the picture. They're in the dark, just sitting. And you just cry out to God, God, I can't do it anymore. It is so dark, and I feel like such a failure. God, is there a way I can be forgiven? There's nothing I can do. I can only put everything at your feet. God, will you please forgive me? Will you please restore me? See, and when there's a prayer like that, just like God the Father heard the Israelites, God the Father Here's your prayer, and he will redeem you. He redeems you by a mighty, powerful act, the greatest, powerful act ever. He sent his Son for you. He sent his Son to redeem you. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer He is our kinsman redeemer. He paid the price so that you could be set free fully. It says from our reading in Ephesians, in him we have redemption. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You see, our failure isn't just about other people and it's just not about ourselves. It is about us in relationship to God and we have sinned against God and there's no way, there's no mea culpa big enough in which we can redeem ourselves. And so God does give a divine judgment, but the divine judgment is this and is one of love that Jesus Christ on the cross paid that full price. By dying, by shedding his blood, he paid the full price of your sin. Of all of your sin, all of your character flaws, everything, everything that is dark in you, he paid that price. And on the cross, he said, it is. Is finished to us, die. It means that the bill is paid in full and it is done and it remains done forever. You are set free. You have a new name, a new life in him, and your name is redeemed. You're set free forever. This is what redeemed means. In him you have forgiveness. Through faith in Christ Jesus, you are redeemed, and you are redeemed and then brought in as a child of God. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am am the lord your god these are sweet sweet words and no wonder the israelites no wonder the israelites remembered and praised god as the redeeming god now in christ jesus i want you to see how perfectly the seven i wills are fulfilled in jesus In Christ Jesus, by God's own power, you are a child of God. You are adopted. In Gospel of John, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And as a child of God, you are set free forever. Galatians chapter 4. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, no matter, oh, no matter what the culture says, no matter what the devil says, in Christ Jesus, there's forgiveness of sin. You are redeemed. And you are set free forever. All of those things from your past. God looks at those, says, they're as far as the east is from the west. Forever. And that's why we also sang that first song, forever. And then finally, your home, the promised land, is a living and eternal inheritance. Inheritance. We talked about that in our study in 1 Peter, that you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, in Christ Jesus, through the cross, all of those seven I wills, all the way back in Exodus, are now fulfilled in Him. Through the cross of Christ, he says, I will save you. Notice the I wills. I will save you. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will make you my own. I will give you a glorious inheritance. You are redeemed. You are redeemed by the blood of the land, the lamb. Isn't that sweet, good news? Amen, right? So this week, ponder, think about these things. The first is, first of all, if you are in the shackles of sin, if you know somebody who's in the shackles of sin, cry out to Jesus. Cry out to him, confess your sin, and know that in him you are redeemed. Meditate upon the seven I wills in Exodus and look at how they are fulfilled in Christ Jesus on his cross. And finally, just in the busyness of the day, pause for a moment. You know, when something hasn't gone right, <laughs> and as and one of my favorite sayings is, it ain't no crime to be stupid, but I still get busted every day. <laughs> Abide and rest in his peace, knowing that in Jesus, you are a child of God with an eternal inheritance. And to that, everybody says, Amen. Amen, amen.